Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. Okay, so official. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg. I'm your host. This is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. Um, and I'm super excited to be here. And today I have a super special guest and I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you? Where are you? And how are you doing today? Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. My name is Shani Senna. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a therapist in private practice, and I'm also a uh, creativity coach for therapists, coaches, and healers. Um, I'm doing okay. Like, I am in Minneapolis, and we are in our, like, first faux spring. Yes. (laughs) You know, we're recording this on February 28th. And it's like inching up into the like high thirties and the Mm. snow is melting, which is very exciting, but I've lived here long enough. This is my 10th year to know that it's a trick. Like, (laughs) not that it's a trick. Nature's not trying to trick me. It's just temporary, like all things. (laughs) And then another wave of cold (sighs) is coming. Yes, I, having lived in Minneapolis for the majority of my life and no longer being there, I'm intimately familiar with the, um, that lift at the end of February, early March, and then the cold comes back and you're like, oh, oh. but it is almost over. Y'all are almost through it. So (laughs) (laughs) awesome. Yes. Well, maybe we can just dive right in. Mm -hmm. Um, Shawnee, can you tell us a little bit about your burnout story? So I graduated in 2018. I was working at the same group practice that I um, had done my clinical internship during grad school at. And I actually really loved it there. You know, it was my top choice. um, And I loved my supervisor. I still do. I still do love my supervisor. Mm -hmm. She's kind of my supervisor forever. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Those are the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was also, I had a lot of anxiety about hours and getting enough hours, and mm-hmm. also a lot of anxiety about being accessible. Um, and so I ended up working, I was at the group practice like three days a week. I was at a, um, queer and trans reproductive health clinic that I had worked at before I had gone to grad school, um, doing very sliding scale therapy where basically they gave me a room and in exchange, I offered sliding scale therapy, but I didn't have to give them any rent, um, which was cool, but I had set the rates really, really low, you know, not really thinking about it. And then I was also every other week doing 
two hours of teaching on a Tuesday, but like one in the morning and one in the afternoon at a chemical dependency center doing like a teaching group about sex and relationships and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, these were all wonderful things, but they were not things that I really entered into with a lot of deliberation. I was kind of going with my gut. Um, and doing all three at the same time was just a lot. It was a lot of different things to hold, different clients to hold. And then it really corresponded with like a ramp up in my partner. So my spouse, they um, are a person with chronic illness and chronic pain. And so it really ramped up with their chronic pain. Um, and so we saw like, a lot more caregiving and emotional labor for me at home, mm-hmm. plus a lot of emotional labor that I hadn't really entered into with a lot of deliberation at work. Yeah. And so in 2019, this is kind of a classic <laughs> trajectory <laughs> for me where I'm like going along, going along, going along. And then there's like a snap and I'm like, ah, like I get me out of here. Like I can't do this. And I don't, I'm not, a. I don't like quit right away. I'm not that spontaneous and impulsive. Um, but it does start typically like a very long. So the, here's the joke. If you're into astrology, I'm a Virgo sun and a Sagittarius rising. And so that like, I can't do it. That's my Sag. Like, I gotta get out of here. And then the Virgo sun is like, okay, well, let's make a two year plan. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm a Virgo rising. So like, mm. yeah. <laughs> and Gemini moon. So it's like all over the place. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I really felt like, uh Oh, and I know much more now, like I'm so much more intimate with the signs of burnout, but even then I was able to recognize them. Things like really leaving the house at the last possible moment and like being a tiny bit late or almost late every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like not starting my sessions on time, just like prolonging those few minutes when I would have to myself. And then the biggest one is just like deeply dissociating as soon as I came home, like on the internet or with my phone or with the TV, just like no, um, no room for any type of relational or self connection Mm -hmm. that was going all going on super hard. Um, and so that was in like September, October of 2019. And then you know, I was like, well, it's time to make a plan. Okay. And I started doing that very slowly. And then the pandemic hit and suddenly like, I'm not teaching those classes anymore. I had left the reproductive health clinic and I wasn't going into an office anymore. And I was like, oh damn, this works way better for me. Like my life is so much more simple. Um, I am, I, so I, I have called myself a highly sensitive person. These days I'm playing with just calling myself neurodivergent Mm -hmm. and like the way that that neurodivergence manifests is in high sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, So like really easily being overwhelmed with 
light and sound and a feeling of busyness and with transitions. And so just experiencing like, oh, I don't have to like get in the car was such a big shift for me. Um, And it's, it's tricky to talk about like, as we're navigating our pandemic world of like um, telling stories that are not tragedies related to this pandemic but like the pandemic and the shift that it brought to my workplace culture was a serious gift mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. um because it gave me a lot of time and space to really start to build what I was interested in and so then I was like I'm gonna go into private practice I got some coaching around that that was unbelievably beneficial mostly about money mm-hmm. um and like reckoning with having a different relationship with money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I opened my private practice in January of 2021. Haven't looked back. Had it, you know, in January, 2021, I kind of did it again. Whoops. I like repeated <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I didn't financially plan for vacation and for paid time off, mm-hmm. which I was not, I like paid time off was not a thing in my group practice, like I had no benefits. Um, and so it was like, well, if you need time off, you just like, you just take it when you need it and you kind of like figure it out. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Right. This is my first time, you know, navigating like, oh, I have personal expenses when I need to take PTO, but I also now have business expenses that I have to cover when I take time off. Uh Uh-oh. And so by like October of last year, I was like, oh no, I'm on the same spot again. And I was able um, to identify it a lot quicker, to take more breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, I don't know if it was actually burnout or just pre-burnout because the recovery was so much, so much quicker. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, but what that teaches me is like, it's still not like it's not done this isn't done and now I'm offering I offer writers retreats for therapists coaches and healers and so I'm developing another business which is really beautiful and in some ways a lot more aligned with my energy um and my skills like it kind of takes my therapy skills and supercharges them in a really cool way and now there's like a new front to navigate about burnout Mm-hmm. And to navigate about like managing time, managing energy, and and also like not managing time, not managing energy, like just mm-hmm. letting things like unfurl, mm-hmm. um, and and surrendering some control. Yeah. yeah. Even as I say that, I can feel my body like slow down a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's good to notice. It is. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, there's such a, um, in the work that I've done, I've noticed there is a lot of, um, talk about manage that energy and find the time and schedule things out and make sure that X, Y, and Z is, you know, you have your work time, your personal time, all that. It's great. It's good to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I am really liking what I'm seeing, especially in the, the social sphere, but it's also coming into my life as well is that idea of, unstructured, unmanaged time where you get to just be. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing when that can actually happen and you're, you're living it and not just talking about it. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, so you mentioned something, um, oh my goodness, it lost my mind. Um, I, I forgot what I was going to say, That's but anyways, okay. <laughs> yes, yes. It'll come uh, back if it's meant to. That's what I always tell myself and clients. It will, yeah. it will. Oh, um, you had mentioned that the pandemic for you had actually given you something very beautiful um, and how hard it can be to talk about like a, a global scale tragedy giving you something positive. Um, and I've, I've heard that from some of my clients as well, where they've really had that chance to slow down and say like, I really enjoy working from home and I found a pace that works for me. Um, and I, I, I found that for myself as well. Like I'm completely virtual and that speed feels so much better. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you noticed really shifting for you when things started to slow down and you started working from home. I noticed like the difference, you know, it used to be when I was working out of the home, um, I would come home and I would need like at least 45 minutes, maybe two hours. Mm -hmm. And honestly, most of the time, the rest of the night, you know, Mm -hmm. to really decompress before I could like, and actually enter the like life that lives in my house. Yeah. Right. You know, I was, I was home, but I could not be present. I couldn't engage. I couldn't do any of the things that are involved with like managing a home, (laughs) um, being present in relationships, um, like managing a body, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and I noticed, you know, like I live in a two-story house, I work upstairs and like the feeling, you know, I would like close the computer and maybe take 10 minutes to like fuck around on my phone or whatever, before I would come down. (laughs) This is like a little, you know, zone out time. And then I would come down the stairs and I would be like, oh, hello, the rest of my life. Like I'm here, I'm ready. I'm ready to be here with you. Um, It was shocking how much more energy and time that I had, Mm -hmm. Um, just like ready, just at the ready. Mm -hmm. And this was in a moment, you know, where it was really, I mean, it was still really frightening and really stressful. It was frightening and stressful for all of us in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was still like, a shocking difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I was still living in Minneapolis when the pandemic started and it, it was a bit different of a story for me just because I, I was sharing an apartment with a roommate who works in education, um, oh. spe- special <laughs> education for little ones. And so while it was, and and before that I had been doing in-home driving all over the Metro area day in and day out type of thing, seeing clients multiple times a week for several hours a time. Um, so it was very nice to be able to pull back in from that type of energy. Um, but then the energy within my home was like, you know, the, the educator was out at the kitchen table trying to teach a class of 15 kiddos. And I was in my office trying to do family therapy 
um, with really challenging cases. Um, but since then, I mean, I've definitely noticed as I've built my own business and built the business that I want, doing the virtual part of it in some ways has really helped with that burnout because I'm able to be home, be in my space, take time in the middle of the day. Um, oh, I love that. That's it's so nice. Part. It's so nice. There's on, on Fridays, I have an extended lunch hour and I'm just like, I could do some work or I could lay down on the floor. Or I could go pet my cats. It's great. Um, but for me, there's, there's also having that Gemini moon. Um, my brain goes all over the place and is very like it latches onto projects and stuff. Um, and so there's been a bit of an aspect of like creating busyness for myself. And I'm wondering if that ever entered your world or if in your recovery from burnout, you've really found a way to reduce that need for busyness. Oh, it definitely has. I mean, in like, um, I mean, I was nine months into a private practice and I created, you know, a side hustle. What? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yep that I really like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it is a vehicle like the the retreats are they're a really lovely spacious experience and they're very spacious and gentle for me as the facilitator which is like really beautiful and it's a whole nother entity to like uh, to grow up basically mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and build an audience with and like continually engage with consistently so um yes that is something I'm still in relationship <laughs> with. <laughs> um, and, and I can feel, it, it does feel so much more. I feel like the, um, the sensitivity to knowing when I like, oh, I have to step back. Oh, I have room to step forward is much more like attuned now whereas before I was running in overdrive like overriding constantly or dissociating constantly like neither of which is a state of attunement Mm -hmm. and and it's not neither one is a state of discernment Right. right and so now I do feel like like I'm still in a relationship with busyness still figuring out what that means and looks like for me um and it, it feels like I'm in a relationship with busyness, not my like overrided nervous system, mm-hmm. um, who was not into any sort of relationship was just like going along for the ride. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I do feel more just present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you're more like sensitive to those signs now so what is it that you notice within yourself either mentally or physically or otherwise when you're starting to reach that point of maybe going past what do we call it the window of tolerance into right yeah what what do you notice um I'm I'm much more attached to my phone Mm -hmm. you know there's a desire like I am the pet breakfast feeder which means I get up at 5 a.m and then go back to bed for a couple of hours um and so usually I can go back to sleep pretty easily but like I started reading a like an e-reader at Mm -hmm. night and that really helps because I can like read and kind of settle back down and not turn on a light Mm -hmm. um 
But when I feel the need to like pick up the phone at 5 a.m. and not pick up the e-reader, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And like full disclosure, I am in that right now. Like I am, mm-hmm. I am feeling that desire to pick up the phone. Same thing like when I get into bed, like what do you do when you get into bed? Do you pick up the phone or do you pick up your book? Or I do a little bit of journaling every night. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I can all, like, I'll look and I'll be like, oh shit, I haven't journaled in five days. Whoopsies, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> and I didn't even know. Um, and this, those similar signs that I talked about before, like starting late, yeah. starting my sessions late, um, not doing my typical kind of rhythm for breaks, doing a lot of sitting. I mean, I have figured out that like my body is going to take the time that it needs, like whether I want it to or not. So like whether I can have like very clear boundary, if I like deliberately make the time, then my body will take that time. If I don't deliberately make the time, my body will take the time from Mm -hmm. me, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, I also do breaks in the middle of the day. I typically have two hours. Um, which is really lovely. So I'll like eat and then we'll like take the dog for a walk or I'll do some dishes or I'll do a little bit of exercise myself and then I'll go work for like 30 minutes and then I'll have my next session. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really lovely. And when I am like out of alignment, that is over. I'm like mm-hmm. just staring into space deep on the internet, mm-hmm. wanting to watch TV all the time is a really good signal. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a feeling of like, I just want to be away. I want to be separate. I start dreaming. <laughs> Here's a one that feels a little less, it's a little sillier, mm-hmm. but like, I start really dreaming about all inclusive vacations. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and doing like, I go deep into like a deep research hole where I'm like looking up resorts in the Caribbean I've never done a trip like that. I don't even know if I actually want to, but like my like out of alignment, busy self is like, yeah, like my only job will be to like sit on the beach and then I'll go eat and then I'll go back to the beach, but it'll all be like 10 steps away from each other. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, great. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Total, total ability to just escape and get the hell out of there. With no trans and no like it's all in this one contained area it's Mm -hmm. all I have no decisions to make there's like nothing to do except Mm -hmm. just be here and like the place where you sleep and the place where you eat and the place where you have fun is all within one minute of one Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. um yeah. which ironically is my life working from home but (laughs) in these fantasies that's me on a beach you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, take your house and the things that are there and just turn it into a, a Caribbean delight. Right. And have some, you know, like sunshine and the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I go on, you know, all like little research benders basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a sign of like, okay, you know, something's going on here. You need some time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the reason I ask, um, it's cause, uh, uh, at least for myself, I got some little bits of information in grad school about burnout and what that might look like. I think it was like a module in my professional development course. Um, and then in, in some of the supervision, like at my first job working for a nonprofit doing in-home work, 
my supervisor there was the first one to say, Hey, you're burning out and you've only been at this job for six months. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and I was, I was definitely burning out. Um, <laughs> so the reason I ask is because a lot of folks, I think there is a general awareness of burnout and what it might look like. And we have like all the typical signs of like, oh, you're not as interested in the work and you're feeling fatigued and maybe you don't feel quite as competent um, or maybe there's a bit of irritability there. When you say it like that, it's like, oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And then when you're experiencing it, first of all, it's super unique. Like for some folks I've worked with, their burnout looks like them pushing even harder, going even faster. And for some folks, it's a total, like it's a brick wall in front of them that they cannot move past. And then there's everything in between. Like you said, with the phone, dissociating with TV, social media, whatever it might be. Um, Those things can be harder to catch at first if you're not aware of what's going on. So I always, yeah, I I just like to ask folks because, you know, there's a lot of folks who still don't quite know that they're burned out even when they are. Um, It requires a certain level of, again, kind of just nervous system awareness and connection that I don't really feel like is fostered in our culture in general and is not fostered in our field which Mm -hmm. is really sad because we're like bringing nervous system healing for others um but it's not extending into um the infrastructure of our lives Mm -hmm. and there are systemic reasons for that as well like we're not immune from all the systemic factors that make it really hard to be connected Mm -hmm. um So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like my spouse loves this joke and it's from the Simpsons <laughs> and it's a, it's like it, it, to me, it kind of epitomizes like side hustle culture mm-hmm. and a little bit of therapist culture wouldn't admit to this, but I think it's a little bit of like what I was just saying in terms of our own relationships with our own nervous systems, like they need extra money. And so Marge Simpson is like, well, I can teach piano lessons. And they're like, Marge, you don't play the piano. And she's like, well, I figured it out. I only have to stay one lesson ahead from my students. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, like, that's, I feel like how that to me is side hustle culture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also, um, like, I, I feel like we in our own nervous system attunement and her healing is um we're maybe one lesson ahead absolutely yeah I would agree with that I mean the the specialty that I have in my private practice is burnout and I mean that's a great way of describing it I feel like maybe one or two steps ahead of most of the folks I'm working with like I've been there and I've worked with those things for myself and it is a continual process where I am also continuously learning what it means to contend with burnout and hustle culture and and side hustle culture. Um, And it's interesting that you bring up side hustle culture, um, mostly because like I'm in that same boat. I've got got, like, (laughs) I don't know, let's just say 10 other projects going on at at any given moment. Um, And on the one hand, I, I think it's really cool that therapists are starting to identify 
other ways that their skills can be helpful to people um, and other ways that they can provide care and service. And like for you, the, the writer's retreats, that's an amazing service. Um, so it's, it's so cool to me to see that happening. And I have that sort of duality of like, why do we feel like we need to monetize everything? Yeah. yeah. So it's, there's definitely a tension there for me where I love it. And at the same time, it's like, oh, man. Absolutely. I mean, it feels kind of peak millennial culture, <laughs> right? And, you know, it's a thing that I'm critical of and participating in at the same time. Yeah. Um, in 2021, I noticed a little bit of a, a separation from the identity as therapist, mm -hmm. um, which was really frightening, actually, and um, now feels very freeing. But at the time, it was like, I don't really know who I am without this, this moniker. And like, um, I have viewed this as a calling. Um, and that's how it's been presented to me. Mm -hmm. um, explicitly and implicitly. And so, but then starting to realize like, oh, actually... I have these gifts, these gifts that totally predate my time in grad school, right? Mm -hmm. And I have these skills, some of which predate my time in grad school and many that were honed in grad mm -hmm. school. And with these gifts and these skills, I can actually do whatever I want. Like I am not beholden to this title. Mm -hmm. Um, to like this title does not automatically equate meaning. It does not auto automatically equate fulfillment. Um, it does not automatically equate like with career. Um, and so once I really figured out like a thing that I am great at is I am really great at asking unbelievably deep questions, like holding very sacred space and then giving people a lot of time and encouragement to like work it out, to do whatever they got to do. Um, that is a gift and a skill that is endlessly translatable. There aren't a lot of like predetermined like jobs I could look up on LinkedIn that <laughs> would fit that or like, you know, there aren't a lot of jobs where if I looked at a job posting, it would say that. You know, um, but if I, if I get a little more creative, if I get a little more connected with myself and like being able to reconnect my imagination, there are a million ways that that could manifest yeah. and they don't like none of them necessarily involve being, um, overly aligned with the identity and title of therapist. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a really lovely thing of exploring this side hustle of being like, this feels so good to me. Um, so let me just give a little bit about like what this actually is. Cause I've been throwing yeah. around the phrase writer's retreat, but like, let mm -hmm. me tell the, the listeners um, yeah. what I'm talking about. So I host like three or four times a year, I host a weekend virtual writer's retreat um, for it used to be exclusively for therapists. Now I'm opening it up to anybody who does like one-to-one service-based work. Um, and it is meant to be a time where we um, 
where we enter in sacred space and really kind of reach down and reconnect with a person's individual creativity. Like I believe that we're all inherently creative. Um, the therapy field in particular, like tends to squash it right out of us. Um, yes. And in like place so much fear about being too much, which I think directly mirrors the stories about being too much that many of us grew up with in one way or another, being too sensitive and being too feeling and being too aware and being too whatever, you know, or like, like mirrors social constructs about basically who is considered more neutral and who is considered other. Mm -hmm. Um, The therapy field totally reinforces that, but then like bounds, binds it all up in the name of ethics. And so then it gets like extra sticky. Yeah. Right. And so in this writer's retreat, we like really kind of dig down to reconnect with that part of yourself that did know how to like make something that never existed before. Even if that isn't, you wouldn't necessarily hold the identity or the title of like artist or writer. Mm -hmm. Little you did know how to like using only your imagination, make something that wasn't made before. Um, And then we use that to write, to like dig into a bunch of creativity exercises and like creative writing that helps you like really dial down into the essence of your practice and the essence of you as a healer and get really clear on like why you are unique Mm -hmm. and how to talk about your uniqueness in a way that feels good to you that feels like true and authentic. Um, And then we practice. So we like reconnect to creativity, we dial down into the essence and then we practice like building the nervous system pathway of like, I write something, I share something. I write something, I share something, Mm -hmm. Um, which is so frightening. Like, I don't think it's one of the most frightening things in any context of like, I made something that didn't exist before. Now I'm going to show it to someone else. And now it's out of my control, how people see it and receive it and perceive it and what they're going to think of me as a result. Um, And yet it gets like hidden under this umbrella of like, oh, it's marketing. Marketing's important. Just do it. And it's like, well, (laughs) marketing is important and you should do it, but it actually like within it is like this locus of deep existential dread and a source of a lot of trauma for us you know Mm -hmm. um so let's like put on our like compassionate healer hats and like how do we learn something new out of trauma we like love on it love on it love on it love on it and then we very slowly start practicing doing something different yeah yeah Um, I I love that so much especially with writing (laughs) yeah Um, and so anyway, so like that, the writer's retreat is using Mm -hmm. these gifts and skills, like holding sacred space, asking deep ass questions, and then giving people a lot of room to work it out. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's doing it in in a way one where I'm no longer doing like one-to-one. It is a model other than like one hour, one fee. Mm -hmm which feels really good to me and where I see my work going in the long, long term. I don't know what that timeline will be exactly. Mm -hmm. And two, 
it is a lot, like a lot less instances of vicarious trauma, <laughs> honestly, you mm-hmm. know, um, which that is work that I love and I hold really holy. And um, it is a deep honor to be with mm-hmm. my clients in those places of like deep pain and a- acknowledging the, just the realities of living in an oppressive world on an individual level and a relational level and a structural level. And it is also about acknowledging the realities for me and for other therapists of what it looks like to hold that hour after hour, day after day, year after year until when? Either yeah. you can't do it anymore or you, you get old, too old, right. <laughs> whatever right. that means to you. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I saw a therapist who was very clear, like, you know, he was older. It was in his sixties and he was like, well, I'm going to be here forever. I'm not able to retire. And I love this work and it's really important yeah. to me. And, 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 and yeah. like, I can't stop. Mm. and at, in the even in the moment this is when I was still at the group practice I was like no like <laughs> fuck that like it just on its face and also like I loved this there like I wanted more for him you know mm-hmm. we had been seeing each other for like three years he was unbelievably important to me and like I didn't want him to have to work because he would he didn't have any other choices you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's a long tangent, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it speaks to a lot of, I mean, a lot of where my mind has been focused recently, honestly. And I know that you and I connected through my other online presence, the anti-work therapist, but that that's exactly what this is speaking to, right. Is like taking some of the weight out of that professional identity, um, not not over identifying as therapist as like the main thing in your life if you don't truly want to and looking at what can happen when you reopen yourself to being other other things other identities other whatever the case may be Um, and I had a really similar experience and this was before I even got my independent license I was like holy shit can I do this can I do this for 20, 30 years? And like, even thinking 30 years in the future, there's a lot of reasons that feels very tenuous, not just this, but, (laughs) (laughs) but there's, there's on that very personal level, like the work is amazing. And I've had so many clients that I've just loved working with. And at the same time, like you mentioned, how, how much we as therapists take on, I mean, it it goes beyond burnout and that's, that's a very big part of it, but there is a certain degree of us as a field, as individuals really needing to reckon with the fact that we are incredibly human um, doing very, very intense work. And over time, as profound as it can be, it takes a toll. Um, And if you, if you're in a space where your primary identity is as therapist and something happens where you can't do that anymore, that's going to suck. That's going to suck really hard. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as a fellow writer, like I just love the idea of being able to create writers retreats for therapists. Like it's so it's specific, but not so specific that like it's inaccessible to people. And it speaks to those other parts, the creative parts, the younger parts, the ones that maybe got kind of crushed or very crushed by graduate school working um, and by ethics. Like I've got, I've got all sorts of thoughts about what we, how we, (laughs) how we treat each other, especially within the field in the name of ethics. And of course it's important. We have standards we need to abide by. Um, but there, there are some cases where I feel like I've seen people use that as a shield. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> I like couldn't hold it in anymore. Of like, I, I feel like oh. it's such, it's a wonderful way to, um, and to get out of saying like, what you're doing makes me uncomfortable and afraid. Yes. What yes. you're doing is leading to a reaction in me. Yes. Like, I am not able to say that's so what I'm going to say is you're being unethical, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And like the thing about ethics is like, there are some things that are very cut and dried, yeah. but like not fucking our clients, you know, that's, that's <laughs> very cut and dried. Um, and, but yep. most ethical situations, like they're, they're ethical dilemmas because they're not cut and dried because mm-hmm. There, we're like considering all the different things and we're considering the therapeutic relationship and we're considering these two forces. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have to kind of like move through it as best we can. Yeah. Um, that's what an ethical dilemma is. Like ethics are not dogma. No. They're like anti-dogma actually. Exactly. And like when they get used as dogma, that mm-hmm. to me is just a signal that this, is, this isn't about ethics it's about your dysregulation mm-hmm. as a result of my choices mm-hmm. yeah. but I'm not responsible for your regulation <laughs> I know I know yeah yeah and, I mean I see that come up so much uh in a few primary areas um money obviously is a huge yeah. one like and, and I think I think you said you went through limb is that right I did so yeah. lean and make bang lean- Bank. what's up yeah. tiffany yeah <laughs> i don't know if she listens but maybe she does <laughs> she's she's acknowledged my anti-work therapist page so maybe fingers crossed um <laughs> so money is a big one for therapists huge just like such a big topic and i, I get it money is very fraught um scheduling oh, uh, yeah. when you're available for some for some reason that is a huge thing i mean i, I know why it's a big thing but that's a big thing um and then the one that I've been wrestling with a lot is the visibility piece. So, you know, through grad school, I'm sure most of us, and even still to this day, for good reason, we are taught, like, you don't want to spill every single part of yourself out into the public sphere. Of course. I mean, and and most, maybe most people don't want to do that anyways. Like, (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's, it's an individual choice, but for therapists, we are told, and I remember having these conversations in grad school, like, well, if you're out at a bar and a client walks in, you should probably just go. I'm like, bro, what? Like, we can't, right. we can't be out in public mm-hmm. if, uh, but I don't know why. Like, so there's that like very public doing your thing in the community, being a human who is participating in the world, 
and all of those considerations, but then we bring it online. Yeah. Yourself online. How do you represent the field? Do you shut down all of your accounts and make them private? Do you make it very blah so that it doesn't bring up anything in anyone? Um, And this is not to malign anybody who follows that, right? Because I've always maintained we all have our own level of comfort and interest in being present online. Um, But similar to that dogma of like, you shouldn't, you can't, this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. Like there are a lot of people who I think would really enjoy being more of themselves, more therapists would really enjoy being more of themselves. There wasn't such a, a weirdness about it, I guess. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, one of, it was such a gift. Like when I was in grad school, I did a post-grad like sex therapy certificate. And one of my teachers, Marky Twist, they're just (laughs) incredible. Um, They did a whole unit on sex and technology, Mm -hmm. um, which was like so profound and so good. And I mean, basically it like all distilled into one little nugget, which was like technology matters. You have to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. not just in sex therapy in all therapy like it's just yeah. a part of our lives now it's completely integrated so like and that's not necessarily bad it's actually a really good tool but if we're not willing to like acknowledge that realities then we're doing us and our clients a disservice we're like limiting the scope of our therapy work right. um and it feels kind of the same of like these rules were made one, they were made by people whose identities are considered neutral. Like white cis men are considered the standard bearers for humanity. And they are also the creators of this field. Like mm-hmm. they are the ones who can be the most invisible while also holding all the power, right? Yeah. Like yeah. for everybody who doesn't fit in, which is most, most professionals in the therapy field right now. Yeah. Like we are already carry a higher level of visibility just by itself, right? right. So yeah. I just don't, I don't, one, I don't think that that works because it was created for a very specific set of identities in a very specific technolo- technological moment that we're not a part of anymore. Right. That world is gone. And so we're just going to have to figure we have to figure out a new moment like we're in a new relationship with technology so are all of our clients Mm -hmm. and so like we have to figure it out and I do like I agree like don't do something that makes you feel bad you know or uncomfortable but I do think that discomfort is a really lovely opportunity for examination Mm -hmm. and that's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. um yeah I mean I really I had a I did a I had a conversation with a friend of mine and then it just like I was like ah! and it turned into this like little Instagram post where all I did was like write something on a piece of paper and then take a picture of it <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it said um down with professionalism up with boundary love yeah mm-hmm. and like I I'm just not interested into in the binary where visibility is on one end and boundaries are on the other. Like, mm-hmm. is there such a thing of boundary visibility? Of course. Yep. You know, is there such a thing as like 
professionalism that strangles. Yeah. Hell yeah. I think that's all of it, to be (laughs) honest, you know, like we can't separate the concept of professionalism, which so much of these ethical, like judgments, I think really come down to that does not meet my internalized standard of professionalism and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so I'm going to attack you about it. Mm -hmm. Um, like we can't separate professionalism from racism and sexism and classism and everything, all of it, all of it. Um, but we have like bought a lie that says that if you are not professional, it means that you have no boundaries. And that is 100% not true. Not true. Yeah. It's not true. No, no. It does mean that you will time like line of and not make anybody uncomfortable it does mean that you're going to have to enter into like an internalized relationship of like oh shit well how does this one feel well how does this one feel well how does this one feel this feels Mm -hmm. okay but this one doesn't why you know and make boundaries accordingly yep that's a lot more time intensive um it also feels a lot more genuine exactly Yep. And a lot more burnout proof, to be honest, like if we're entering into like deliberation, internal deliberation, there's mm-hmm. just more conscious thought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you use professionalism as a blanket mm-hmm. to just you cover all situations with that, um, you'll probably catch a good, a good number of things that you're like, okay, this feels fine. But then things start slipping through the cracks Um, And in these discussions around professionalism, right, like, well, if it's considered professional to work until 8 p.m., what if that's not my thing, though, right? Right. Like, what if I don't want to do that? Um, That's a boundary violation for me. And this is bringing up, so, like, I have been part of some Facebook groups for therapists. It's just, oh, my God, it's a mess. Um, And I remember in one of these groups, somebody posted about like, so I'm interviewing this newer clinician and was doing some email exchanges with them and um, they used exclamation points in their email. And I'm just wondering, just what do you think this says about their professional self? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, yeah, doesn't matter, honestly. Uh, And there was a whole debate. It was like, comment after comment after comment about professionalism of exclamation points which is like not relegated just to the therapist world but it speaks to this like this managing of communication on the individual level and making judgments of a person's capabilities based on whether they're using certain punctuation marks I'm like I I can't get also so gendered I like can't oh my god because we know like we don't have to say out loud like who we associate like exclamation points in emails that is cis women oh for sure you know and so um you yeah (laughs) basically is what yeah I can't even go any deeper than that just like (laughs) (laughs) no and I I see those types of discussions all of the time. And it's, I see where it's coming from. I can see the systems that those conversations lend themselves to and how they're produced. 
And it just, yeah, it feels you. It makes me sad. I don't want to participate. Um, I have to, I, I said just you, but actually there's like something else in here. Like, can we talk about how unprofessional it is to take your hiring process to Facebook and Ooh. like crowd way into like, what does this mean? Like, I'm going to like take a poll, a public poll of my internal hiring process without this person's consent. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> I would use the word unethical for that. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that is unprofessional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And that's, anyway. yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. So those are the types of things that like, as I've gotten deeper into this world of therapy and and mental health, like there's so much that I love about it. And there are so many, it's primarily systemic stuff, almost completely systemic stuff that I'm just like, can we, can we not? Like, this is, this is a lot of noise in a lot of different ways that is distracting from some of the really profound work we could do within the system to make this the field that we want, which of course, with burnout, burnout is primarily a, a systemic issue as compared to like compassion, fatigue, and vicarious trauma. That's very much on that one-to-one basis or dealing with those, mm-hmm. um, the effects of those stories, but yeah. burnout is largely systemic. And it's actually, <laughs> it, it can be influenced by policy. Oh, for sure. Like, it can be prevented by policy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Um, which is something like if you are listening and you're considering starting a private practice or you have a private practice, or maybe you're at a group, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, policy affects every aspect of our field. That's a really, really good starting point for yourself. If you're looking to, to stave off or help with burnout, look at the way you're treating yourself in your business or the way that employees are being treated. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that for myself, that was, was and has been a major area for yes. burnout. I mean, that when I was starting to make my private practice, like one of the most, there was so much wrestling, but like the joy that came from like being very intentional about my schedule, mm-hmm. it still feels so good. It just feels so good. Mm-hmm. And like, now I'm going to brag on it. Cause I love, I love my schedule. Like <laughs> I, Mondays are like my admin day. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays are when I see clients. I have one that goes past 5. PM on, on Wednesdays. That's a temporary thing. Um, but otherwise I end up five and on Fridays is when I do my own therapy. And then I run errands in the afternoon. Like, mm-hmm this level of routine and of like being very deliberate of like it just feels so good mm-hmm. and like getting real of you know if I'm only going to see clients three days a week and I know the overall number of clients that I need to have then that's going to denote a higher rate right mm-hmm. that leads to support that like it's all connected to each other if you start pulling on the schedule <laughs> thread it will lead you to the money thread and like the cancellation policy thread and like all these different these different um policy issues which is just another word for boundaries yeah like policy is just another word for boundaries so if that word makes you itchy i recommend you substitute it with the word boundary 
and yeah. just see how that feels for yourself. Cause we talk about that all the time, mm-hmm. but boundaries on a systemic level is policy. Oh, for sure. It's a business boundary, but it's also, especially if it's your business, it's a personal boundary. They, they get yeah. mixed in there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to hear that you love your schedule. I'm, I'm working my way there. I feel like I'm, I started hot out of the gates with my private practice and did not expect it to go the way it did, which is positively. Um, but I'm, I'm in that sort of like full, almost over full practice, you know, new problems, better problems than being, uh, you know, under, under full, but like, yeah, it's, it's a process of getting to the place where you understand for yourself what the boundaries need to be, what feels good for you. Um, you know, I, I think I've posted recently on social media, like figuring that out is the first step. And then as you've talked about the nervous system regulation around actually having those boundaries for some yeah. folks, it's going to feel supernatural and good. And like, this is what it's supposed to be. And then for maybe folks like myself, a lot of therapists were so used to being, as you said, in relationship with busyness to the point where having less of it doesn't feel good at first. Um, I can almost feel uh, jarring to not have something filling every moment of your day. Um, yeah. So if anybody's listening, they're like, ah, I, I, I just can't, I can't get the schedule I want. Well, maybe take a look at what your relationship with busyness is and how it feels if you start to step back from that relationship a little bit. Um, yeah. Cause it, it can be surprisingly difficult to let go of sometimes. It's really hard. It's unbelievably <laughs> hard. Yes. And like, I, I have to be very watchful cause it'll just creep in on me. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> and I think that there's room for like, when we say things like I got to be watchful or I got to be deliberate or I got to be like discerning, there can be a lot of like, this is a monster that I have to like keep away from myself and build a big moat around myself, mm-hmm. to, like keep it out. And then, you know, inevitably cracks will appear in my wall and then I have to go patch the cracks and it's like, okay, I, I w- would also invite the, the metaphor of like, this is, um, makes me think of, you know, in family therapy, where we talk about like the problem child is the, is the symptom bearer for the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not the bad one quote. They are just the one who is externalizing, um, what is going on in the system. And I would say that perhaps busyness is the same as like, the externalization of like what's happening inside and so rather than like well what what often happens in family systems of like get out problem child you're not yeah. welcome anymore you yeah. know they like oh you actually have something very important to teach us to be with us and it's about like bringing you back mm-hmm. and bringing us back into balance for now like we tend to think of balance as like a, it can lend itself to a very static place. And I'm, I'm thinking about it these days of like balance, literally like a balance board where it's Mm -hmm. like, you actually are moving constantly. Um, And it's all about like, 
a little adjustment over here, a little adjustment over here, a little adjustment over here, and an internal sense of movement mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that's what balance looks like. Even though in my burnout state, I want balance to look like that, like inclusive resort on the beach. It's like, I sit here and be still and that's what balance is, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. no, actually not. (laughs) Um, And that's okay. It's more active. And when you're burned out, the thought of being more active is really hard. Oh yeah. That's super hard. Yeah. I mean, I can remember burnout times where I just wanted to lay in bed and be still and be in a dark room for days mm-hmm. and that wasn't necessarily accessible to me so yeah I, I can appreciate that that sentiment around it needing to be more movement mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah hmm. of course you can hear the train in the background um I also really appreciate that um <laughs> the image of the problem child I don't know that I had I had thought of it that way before. And I really appreciate that. Um, Cause I've, I've thought of busyness and burnout and this need to be doing anything kind of in, in terms of like parts language, which is fairly similar to a family system, obviously with internal family systems. Um, there's that right. idea. Now. But yeah, like instead of scorning this part that is quote unquote, creating the problem, um, just sit with it and acknowledge it and say, okay, I see you, you know, that this behavior may not be super acceptable, but let's actually talk about what's going on. That's creating this. What are you seeing in this system that you're trying to call attention to? Um, Yeah. This is a thing I talk about in the writer's retreat a lot of like, there's often a big, like when we start writing, there's a lot of parts that come up and they're just like, no basically like don't do that (laughs) you know it's not safe um it's wrong it's Mm -hmm. um something bad is going to happen to you basically they're very old primal Mm -hmm. it's generally not like oh this is unethical it's like no if i do this i'll die yeah it's a lot more high stakes um Mm -hmm. which to me speaks to like okay this is this is like attachment wounds mm-hmm. it's so much like it did not happen when you were you know 28 like I was in graduate school <laughs> like that's not where I learned this um <laughs> yeah and so you know it's a lot we spend a lot of time again going back to the, like my gifts are like holding sacred space and like offering lots of love boundary love while mm-hmm. you work it out you know of like I all hold a lot of like, okay, this feeling gets to be here. It's not, not welcome at the writer's retreat. It is welcome. And we're going to like be with it and love it and not pressure it to change. We're going to move forward with the exercises, you know, and like you get to love on that part. You might have some feelings about that, but the answer is not to banish it mm-hmm. or to try to shut it down. It's also not, the answer is usually not to um, do what it says the answer is because like they're working from a more, from a very particular scope that often does not represent the actual, like the full range of options that are available to us now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And then I, I feel so much more compassionate and usually they do too of like, rather than that no part manifesting, you know, in this case, it's into like endless procrastination and never getting around to a website Um, or feeling like sitting down to write and then having like a shame spiral that turns into, I never have any good ideas and I'm bad at everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's, that's the, the solution according to that, that part. That's the solution is like, well, just don't think about it anymore or beat yourself up and punish yourself. And that's how we'll figure it out. And it's like, okay, that is an understandable point of view. And it is not the most loving, which means part that like you need love. If you feel like those are your only options, it means that you need some loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine when the participants at these retreats, when they start loving those parts, and acknowledging and speaking with them and letting them be there. I imagine that it makes it just a little bit easier to move forward with these exercises that are testing the limits for those parts and pushing them. Absolutely. Um, It's unbelievably powerful. Mm -hmm. And usually those parts, like when we give them a chance, they often have like the most to say. You know, often when, when like we have like a moment where it's like, oh, whoops. Okay. This needs some attention and some, like some compassion and some love. And then we go into the next exercise, that person suddenly it's like the floodgates have opened and so much is coming out. And it's like, I, I try to not say like, oh, this is good writing because then it's, then there's bad writing somewhere. And that's just not the goal of this. Um, but writing it how authentic writing you know it's mm-hmm. writing that makes you feel uh, because those parts are finally getting a chance to like do something different yeah. rather than just shut down or punish right yeah oh, I love that I love all the parts work and just yeah it, it's so helpful in so many different ways whether it's with with your creativity and that part of yourself or um, the part of you that wants to overwork or shut down. Um, there's so many different ways to, to approach those things without the same song and dance of, as I've said in, in, in a previous episode, without being an asshole to yourself. Cause like that's <laughs> kind of what it can get to is you just, you can be really mean to yourself if you're not aware of what those parts are and why they're there and why, why they do what they do. So I love that. It's super awesome. All right. Well, it looks like we're almost at the end of our time, but Mm. what I do like to do at the end of these episodes is just ask my guest, um, if you were to leave the audience with something to chew on or something to think about as they go into the rest of their day, what would you want them to know? We have a story about burnout of like, or about um, coming into balance that like, when I do that, I'll be doing less. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that, that is true. That is true on its face, right? Um, but a thing that also feels deeply true is like when you get really into like intentional 
awareness and you get on that balance board, um, there is so much more room for more, not more busy, but more ideas, more, um, just more sparks, you know, like I never would have been able to to start this thing that I'm doing now that feels like so cool um, and so exciting to me. Um, And that I know is impactful because participants have told me (laughs) that it's impactful. Um, Mm -hmm. In that previous state, because there was no room. And we know this from a nervous system point of view. We know that like, you can't learn new information when your system is flooded. You can't, um, you can't like artistic expression will, it's one of the first things to go when our Mm -hmm. nervous system is flooded. Play, I'm a play therapist as well. And Mm -hmm. like that really informs a lot of what I do in every area of my life. Um, Play does not happen when a nervous system is flooded. Um, yeah. Or it happens in, a, in, in what we would call like trauma play or overwhelmed play in children and in adults. And for me, that looks like, you know, like playing Candy Crush on my phone for like seven hours, right? Yeah. That's overwhelmed play. That is not play that is restorative. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and when we come to a place, when we, when we, navigate through burnout and we allow for more time and less busyness you just get so much back Mm -hmm. so much I couldn't even really wrap my I couldn't even imagine um I'm a better wife Mm -hmm. I'm a a way better friend. I was not a good friend, but like my friends just didn't hear from me basically from the times I started graduate school until 2021, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a better home steward. Like mm-hmm. I take care of my home in a much better way. Um, and when I say better, this isn't to say that it was really bad before it's just more connected. Yeah. And a lot more feels possible because when I take the time to cultivate like a continued state of rest, then my imagination gets to be a part of the conversation and that leads to way more possibility. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. So like when you navigate through burnout, you get to live your life, the same life, probably not a lot of your life will change. A lot, some will change, but like, you're still gonna be you and you still have bills, but you <laughs> will have more imagination accessible um, to approach those things in a new way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know for myself when I was burnt out, the creativity and imagination was not accessible. Uh, and it definitely is more so now. So that definitely rings true for me. 
appreciate that. And that's not your fault. That's no. neuroscience. Yeah. You can't like think your way out of it or like three day weekend your way out of it. You mm-hmm. like have to revamp your whole relationship to yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself, that is a process and a relationship that at least for myself, I've found takes time, just like any relationship. If, if there's something in any relationship that you want to have changed or that needs to change, it takes time and that's okay. If it doesn't take time, usually somebody's bullying somebody or coercing right. somebody. Yeah. Consensual change, change that is rooted in communication is slower. And that's annoying. And <laughs> upset about that and I know. just acknowledge that like it does in fact align with my values yeah because I don't want any part of myself to be bullied or coerced by another part of myself yeah yeah doesn't typically end up in sustainable change that way yeah mm-hmm. absolutely well Shawnee thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. it's super fun um I <laughs> For you and the listeners, I appreciate you dealing with these technological issues. I would want to blame retrograde, but it's not happening. So it's just. It's oh, just, it's just, it's just life. You know, it's just life. You can be spacious <laughs> enough to be inside of that and have it not be a problem. It's not yeah. a problem. It's just life. It just happens, man. This is what it is. Yeah. 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 Can I like delve deep into side hustle culture and do like an Instagram plug? <laughs> oh absolutely yes (laughs) so follow me on instagram (laughs) do it weirdo therapist coaching Mm -hmm. um you can also if you don't want to miss anything from me you can follow the hashtag uh marketing is scary marketing is scary Mm -hmm. it is but that's okay (laughs) yeah it's okay to be scared yeah and it's okay to acknowledge that we're scared absolutely (laughs) Yes. And I will put those things in the show notes as well. So if people are listening on their phones and they want to click through, they'll be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And if folks have any questions or are intrigued by the thought of a writer's retreat, you can just send me a DM and we'll talk about it. Awesome. Yes. Send Shawnee a DM. These writer retreats sound super cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.